Good morning, everybody. I'm sure you're thinking, aren't there supposed to be like more worship songs before you show up up here? And and I want to assure you that those worship songs are coming. But um, how many of you have have had those experiences when either you're studying God's word or you're 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 preparing to do something where you just have this quickening that you know He's up to something different than what you planned? Do you following me? That I, I believe today is a day uh, um, that something special that God has for us and. Um, it must be special because from the beginning of the day, uh, we had problems with the sound system. Now my notes keep turning on and off. So, you know, as I'm looking at it, they're going away. And then I push a button and they come back. So you guys are in for a treat today. Who knows what's going to come out of my mouth. But I, I want to tell you, I spent a great deal of time this week. It literally just shut off again. That is so funny. Um, I spent a great amount of time this week uh, in, in Exodus chapter 30. If you're tracking along with our series of The Way Forward, we're, we're in chapter 30. Can you believe that we've made it 30 chapters in Exodus? I mean, come on, you guys just need to, you need like a double pat for that one. That I have enjoyed um, studying the books, book of Exodus. I've enjoyed it uh, for, for a number of reasons. Um, Sorry, I'm faking talking right now, trying to figure out if I can get my notes going right now. Just talk amongst yourselves. It says it's loading, but it, I don't believe that it is. Okay, um, I've enjoyed it for a number of reasons, um, but, but I've enjoyed familiar passages and looking at it with fresh lenses. The, the Bible is full of, of our go-tos, our top tens, things that we read and that we remember. Um, but, but we get a lifetime of understanding the depth of God's word. Isn't that amazing? That the Bible will never really become boring to us unless we allow it to. Unless we, like, you know, uninvite the Holy Spirit to be our teacher. But as long as the Spirit of God is our teacher, the Bible will always come alive. It'll be like a fresh truth to us. And even though it's timeless, it will be timely. And, and I believe Exodus has been that way for us. And I, I felt like it was important to, to keep us... Um, on the path and remind us where we've come from. And if, we, if you remember, we, we started this series with the title Way Forward. So if you're visiting with us today, you just get the bonus right now because I'm going to like in five minutes tell you where we've been. Hopefully you'll, you'll catch it. But, um, but the way forward for us is we've been talking about a time period in our history that's been like never before where the way forward gets a little bit confusing, where there are all kinds of ways that people offer that you should go in, but the way forward doesn't seem as clear as it used to be. That everybody claims the truth, right? And yet, they're two different stories. How can they be both true? And then you come up with other concepts that there's now not just this truth or that truth, but then there's your truth. So then you could, you could tell whatever story you want and, and claim authority on it because it belongs to you. That's your truth, even if it's different than reality, that it's valued. Are you tracking with me? Have you been a part of the conversation? Uh, do you ever just like look around you and, look at, and listen to something you hear and just go, What? It's that moment. And so in those moments, it's one thing for us just to complain about it. It's another thing to go, but aren't there promises from God's truth that offer us a way forward, that offer us um, clear direction? And so that's what we've been committed to, going through chapter and verse throughout the Bible and throughout um, specifically the book of Exodus. And as we began, we talked about this theme of the way forward. It was a strong theme of freedom. As the children of Israel were rescued by God from captivity, they were brought in into, um, out of that captivity after a long and dramatic series of events where God showed up, showed his power in unmistakably clear ways, and then led these children out of the land of Israel into the promise and the hope of a land flowing with milk and honey. Um, throughout that journey, you remember that not everybody really took to freedom like they thought they would, that freedom was like a new normal for them. And what was their previous normal? Their previous normal was slavery and captivity. And so, like anything, if you do something for a long period of time and you try to do something new, you have to unlearn some of the things that you used to do in order to learn the new things. So freedom sounds amazing. But for them, they're like, no, no, we like, the, we like the structure and the predictability of captivity. So they continue to go back towards captive ways. And so we talked about for a few weeks the, the detoxing of captivity, that we got to get the, the stuff out of us, the captivity out of us in order to understand freedom. We looked at, at a period of Exodus that was very clear about obedience. We're thankful to God that even though we don't understand everything he says that we're supposed to do, and some of it is like, what? And there was like all this case law of things that we went through. 
we were comforted by the fact that at least God makes it plain and clear that this is the lane that you live in if you want to walk in my will. That there isn't confusion, but there are these ten commands that you follow these things and you'll be a set-apart people. You're going to look different, act different, and be different than those around you. And in this lane, by the way, is tremendous blessing. He doesn't put rules upon us just to make us miserable or bring us captivity. His guidelines for us bring freedom. How many of you can say that, like, if you have this just, like, wide open, you don't know your boundaries, do you feel free? I think, like, I'm going to answer the question because it's rhetorical, but I think that when you have a, a set of boundaries where you know, hey, these are the areas you feel safe and you feel free, it's like, play within these walls, right? But when you don't know what the boundaries are, you're left to discover and to define that stuff all on your own, and I think that's large what we're experiencing and have been for many centuries in our society. We, we talked about obedience and living by God's commands. We talked about consecration. Consecration is just a way of saying that anything that contaminates my ability or my connection with God, I need to eradicate it from my life. And we looked at this Exodus series, and uh, we looked at some of these, these portions of Scripture last week about stuff that the priests had to do to be consecrated. Do you remember this? Were you here last week? There were a lot of words. I, rem- I, I feel like I stood up here and just started going... And, but that, hopefully I didn't spit like I just did right now. But there were, there were a lot of words. I, I felt like, man, I was just full of things I wanted to say. And I, as I thought back, I'm like, did I just say words or did I convey your heart? And I'm, I'm not asking for feedback in this moment. But what I'm trying to say is there's so much in there. There's so much in there. And the, the idea of consecration for the priest was, was very detailed. And it was very confusing to a certain extent unless you really jumped into it. Do you remember the blood sacrifice stuff? I mean, a lot of blood in this book. Some of the blood, you touch it and you put your finger on something. And the other blood, you actually pour it out and spill it on an altar. And this is the stuff that, that people go, man, Christians are weird, right? Christ, like, that is bizarre. This is not some cultic thing. This was a period in history where God was doing something for the Hebrew people that he's not doing for us us today. So you're not going to find a lot of blood around here unless somebody gets a bloody nose or something. But, but this is not ritualistic. This was a type of something that was to, to come that would be fulfilled in Jesus. And that's where the, the like, wow, and the hope and the good news comes. But, but specific to last week, you remember that there was this blood that was, that was marking the priest, right? You remember it, it marked his earlobe. And you remember it marked his thumb. And you remember it marked his big toe. And in that, we, we learned that, that we want to be listening and hearing and discerning through the lenses of Jesus and what he's done for us through his triumph in our lives, that, that we can hear what the Spirit is saying. We want to work with our hands in, in a way that's skillful, anointed by the Holy Spirit, but, but, but marked by the blood that we have purpose in our life. And we learned that the thumb was, was essential in working with tools, that, that without the thumb you can't grip, nor can you like separate. It's a powerful f- digit. It's not a finger because it's a thumb. I learned that by the, the internet, the World Wide Web. You should check it out. We learned that, 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 that the toe needed to be marked by the blood, that, that through the awareness of what Jesus has done for us, that this toe is significant, that your big toe, as pretty or ugly as it might be, and chances are it's ugly, but, but, but as, as pre, I mean, there's some gifted people. There's those that have just been blessed supernaturally with beautiful toes. Um, we all, anyways, I'm done. So, so, so the, the toe... Um, carries the weight, and this is all done on the right side, the dominant side. The toe carries the the weight of your body, and it gives you stability. And we said that the blood needed to mark our stability, that we needed to be impacted by, by what Jesus has done to the point that we're able to walk through this world with stability. That you could still make it without that toe, but you're going to be a little bit shaky. You don't have to be. You can walk in stability because he's marked your life. And so these are some of the areas that we've come. And then, and then we talked about ordination. Ordination simply meant that you're set in place, that God ordains times and places and people, that you are where he's placed you to be unless you're walking in radical disobedience. And I don't say that in a condemning kind of way, but we can choose to walk in our own way. And I know that in times in my life where I've chosen my own way, it's just miserable. It feels like, like you're doing what you want, but really you find that every door shuts around you, things don't flow like you want it to flow, you walk in disobedience. But when you choose to walk obediently to God, He sets you in places. He sets you in families. He sets you in places of business. He sets you in churches. He sets you among people so that you can flourish and you can be a blessing. 
And so that's where we find ourselves today. And, um, and I felt like it was important as I, as I studied to, um, <laughs> to not share everything that I studied. <laughs> I, I felt like, and man, and when this stuff happens, it's, it's so interesting, right? Because it's those times where um, you just, like, you're reading and it's like, wow. I, there, this chapter 30 covers... Um, among other things, it covers the altar of incense, which is what we'll be talking about today. It also covers something called the temple tax, and very, very interesting. It covers this um, thing called the bronze basin, which was for washing, um, and then it, it covers the recipe for incense and anointing oil. And I know that now that I told you all that, you're like, oh man, you're not going to talk about all of that? Um, maybe I will next week, but as, as, as I became... Uh, as much of an expert as I could on each one of these things, I, I thought, wow, I know a little something about all this now. And I could come and I could pass all that content on to you. Or I could camp out in something that I felt that the Holy Spirit just gripped my heart with. And that's what I decided to do this morning. And, and so when I come to you and say, hey, I think there's something special God has for us. Uh, I, I believe it's out of that experience that God wants us to understand this altar of incense and what that means to you. How that might impact your life and how that might change you and how that might even change today. So are you guys on board? Yeah. That's why I came up early. That's why I skipped a couple of those worship songs. But they're not a skip. We're going to give them back to you in the end because we want to be able to sit in God's presence and, and soak in what he has for us. And so starting um, this morning from Exodus chapter 29 and verses 45 and 46, I, I want to set the tone. Um, and I want to set the tone for the, what I believe is the heart of God. The heart of God from the very beginning was relationship. Everybody say Relationship. relationship. Man, he wants that with us. And remember that as we're talking about, um, I, 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 I just wanted to say hi to Erica and the new baby, but I didn't want to embarrass her. Yay, welcome. Okay, so, so um, as, as we're understanding the heart of God is relationship, it's that he doesn't just want to, to be known by all of you, but he wants to know you as well. That, that God wants this interaction with you. And that's a powerful thought process. I know we can say that, but because of what Jesus has done, because all those contaminants that we have that keeps us distant from a pure and holy God, that's all been dealt with through Christ. And so what he longs for is to be among his people. And that's what this whole concept of tabernacle is, that, that he's going to be their God and, and he's going to tabernacle or dwell among them, right? And so let's look at Exodus chapter 29 and verse 45. It says, I'll dwell among the people of Israel, and I'll be their God, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God, and I brought them out of the land that I might, what, dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. Now, I want you to think about times in your life where um, you've just known clearly that God's just with you. That he's with you. And, and, and likely those times that you, you can think about where you just know God's with you is, is usually during a time of crisis or a time of tragedy. A time where you're experiencing um, what Philippians says, the peace that passes understanding. I believe that we, we have the, the general awareness that God's with us all the time in the good times. But it just seems like his presence is so much sweeter in the difficult times. Would you agree with me? And I think that's because in those difficult times we're more desperate. I think God is always desperate to have that interaction with us and that dwelling with us. But in those difficult times, we're desperate and we're calling out upon his name. We're making deals with God. We're saying, hey, if you do this, I'll do this for you. Um, but, but more than anything, our hearts are attuned towards him and we're longing for more of him. And, and, and in this temple tabernacle system, God set something in place that I believe was intended for us to always have that longing to respond to his desire to want to just be with us. So despite all the complicated stuff, and how many of you can raise your hand and say, sometimes I feel like my faith is just complicated. Like, am I supposed to know this about spiritual warfare or that about spiritual warfare? Does prophecy work like this or like that? Am I, do I believe in the great tribulation or no great tribulation? Do I like this famous pastor or this famous pastor? Or should there be no famous pastors, Right? There's generally, there, we can overcomplicate things to a certain degree that we're just like, what is this? And it, and it causes the, the beauty and the simplicity of our faith 
This great story of this desire that God has to know you and to know me and that we get to interact and be with the King of Glory all the time. That is amazing. And there's wonder to that. There's wonder to the point that Jesus, when he was describing the kingdom, he said, eh, you guys just don't get it. you got to be like a kid to get it. And why do you have to be like a child to understand the kingdom? It's because we as adults do what? We overcomplicate everything. I get so sick of myself sometimes. Like I'm just like, why are you making such a big deal about something that's so little? This isn't the devil doing it. This is me. And I think that all of us, we have these areas where we overcomplicate, but God says, hey, I've got this real simple truth. Here's, a, here's what it says about in the end of all things. In, in Revelation chapter 21, there's this beautiful picture of this, and, and this conveys the heart of God that I hope that we can grasp today. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I said in a loud voice, excuse me, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, listen to this, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and he himself will be with them as their God. I love this part. And he'll wipe every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither there shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is the heart of God, and this is, this is how we step into or how we might approach these next few verses, um, is understanding that God wants relationship with you in a very simple way. He wants to dwell among you. He wants to be with you in times of crisis. He wants to be there for you, but He also wants friendship with you. He wants you to enjoy Him. You don't have to raise your hand, but, but I want you to think in your life of, of how often are you enjoying God versus trying to either impress, please, or make sure He's not mad at you for something. But how often are you just enjoying Him? Remember the primary picture of the character and nature of God that's throughout Scripture is that He is what? Our Father. He's our Father. And we've gone through this territory many times that for some we have a poor concept of what a father is, but that's not who God is. God is a perfect father. And so you think of a really, really good dad and then you put it like in hyper um, exponential uh, multiplication. That's God. You know, we have these pictures on earth of really good dads and just multiply it like crazy and that's our God. And what is in the character of a good dad? A good dad loves his kids. A good dad gives good gifts. A good dad knows the personality and the character of kids and, and wants to bless them and encourage them and strengthen them. A good dad puts challenges before kids so that they can grow. This is our God. And so don't forget to enjoy the fact that you have a perfect, good God and He's your Father. And so, so when we're looking at all this detail and we're reading through Exodus and you can almost get lost in the weeds, you have to remember what we're doing and, and what God was trying to do. And so this is where we come up with this altar of incense. And so is everybody ready for the altar of incense? Okay. All right. Chapter 30 of Exodus, verse 1. This is Moses' instructions for this tabernacle. Again, the tabernacle is a mobile tent. And it's, a, it's an elaborate mobile tent. It's expensive. It's precious. It's different than any other tent that these nomads have ever seen. That this tent is, is set up in a certain way, and there's process involved with this tent. This tent even smells a certain way. And I'm not mocking or joking when I say that. It smells a certain way. So, so throughout our years um, as a family, we've had a series of tent trailers Right? You know what a tent trailer is? A little pop-up thing. And I think the first one was, was given to us by some friends. And um, it was like a mercy giving. Like, here, just take it. Go do something fun with your family. And, and, then, and, and it had a certain aroma to it. And it was, like, it was like a little musty, but in a good way. And like every time you open up, it's like, we're camping now, baby. It's just like... You know, then, then the next tent trailer, you know, we got on Craigslist, and we're like, okay, I think we can do this, and we scrimped and saved, and we got this other one, and, and that one had its own sort of smell, right? It's like, ah, a little less musty. The mildew wasn't there. This is awesome. 
You know, and as, as time goes on, we get like the really cool one, the one that, that um, someone had kept in their garage and it had stuff that like worked, you know, and, and, and the, um, I, I'll never forget, I was like begging the guy to come down to our price. Like I'm like, I'm like getting him down like 1500 bucks. Like, come on, man, you got to less, less, less. And I remember even saying like my kids, I'm like, look at these kids. You'll be investing in their lives. Like they're these beautiful children. Huh? I did that, didn't I? It was bad. And, and, and I remember this guy was so mad at his teenagers. He's like, yeah, I'll sell it. I hope you get a better go at it than I did because these kids don't want to go camping or do anything with us. So this thing's just sitting in the garage, you know. And uh, that sounded very sad, but it's true. It's, that's what he said. So we benefited from that. And I think our kids still like us. We all still go hang out and we do stuff in the tent trailer. But, but that one had an aroma and a scent. And all this long tent trailer story to say that there's something of like, man, something looks a certain way, it feels a certain way, and it smells a certain way. And the smell is the most powerful sense that you have. You know that, Right. A smell will put you right where you need to be, um, or, or at least will bring you back to a memory that, that uh, I'll mess you all up right now and say, if you drive down Chapman Avenue and you get, you're starting to go east and you roll your window down just before you hit Fred Kelly Stadium on the left-hand side, you're going to smell something coming out of the aroma from a, a red and white building, and it's going to be in and out Burger just blowing all that out so that everyone's like, oh, good times every time I eat a double-double, right? And, and it's like, oh, it brings me back to the last time I ate a double-double. It tastes so good because it's always the same and it's so good. It's good times. It just smells a certain way. They do it all on purpose, man. They do it all on purpose. God was doing something on purpose and he, he called them to create this altar of incense, okay? And so there's some key words that we're going to look at. One, altar and two, incense. But let me read it to you first in, in chapter 30, verse 1. It says, you shall make an altar on which to burn incense, and you shall make it of acacia wood. And it shall be a cubit in its length and a cubit in its breadth, breadth, not breadth. (laughs) And it shall be square um, and two cubits in its height, and its horns shall be one piece with it. And you shall overlay it with pure gold in its top around the sides and its two horns. And you shall make molding of gold around it, and you shall make two gold rings for it. And under its molding on the two opposite sides you shall make them. For their holders on which to carry it. Remember, all this detail is important because these precious and holy items, they had to be moved around. They, they were on the road. These guys were living in the wilderness and yet creating this elaborate structure for God to dwell in. So they had to have ways to carry it and not mess stuff up. So all that detail's in there. Even to the, even to the point of the dimensions... And so it says that you shall put it in the front of the veil that is above the ark uh, of the testimony and in front of the mercy seat that is above the testimony where I will meet with you. Do you remember the picture of, of even the temple later that there's a veil that separates from this holiest place where the priest would go in and make atoning sacrifices and no one else could go in there? This is before all that. This is the, the primary thing right around the washing area. There's this, this, um, it, this piece of furniture and stick with me because it, it all has significance. In verse 7 it says, And Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it. And every morning when he dresses the lamps, he shall burn it. And when Aaron sets up the lamps at twilight, he shall burn it. A regular incense offering before the Lord throughout your generations. So the picture of this is a, it's about 18 inch square, so it's not huge, you know, and it's probably it's about 3 feet tall. It's almost like a pillar and it, and it just sits there. And it sits there with the, the stuff that you would burn incense with. Um, it's interesting that there's no sacrifice attached to this. There's no excessive blood. Remember some of these altars. By the way, the word altar in Hebrew means the killing place. Okay, So the altar would have not just some blood sprinkled on it, but there's one point where they say just throw the blood on it, right? It's like, what's that, that artist Pollock? You know, it's like that just thrown blood. This didn't have that. This was something clear and beautiful. But it did have this one part where you would just put a little bit of blood on the horn of the golden horn. So you knew there was blood on it, but it wasn't nasty and it didn't have like all that. Are you tracking with me? And so this, there's no, it, it, it will say specifically here in a moment that there's no drink offering, no grain offering, no, no animal sacrifice, yet it's an altar. 
And I had to stop and think about that for a minute. If it's a killing place, then what's supposed to die there? And this may be where I take some liberty, but I'll share with you what, what I feel in my heart as I understand this or what I believe the Holy Spirit is showing me is that the altar of incense and, and what, you, what you connect incense with throughout the, the whole of the Bible, and that's how you interpret the Bible. You don't just pick and choose, but you look at what's the whole story talk about. Can you think of what's connected to incense in the Bible? Prayer, right? Prayer. I'm just going to give it to you because anytime like you say that, like, does he really want us to respond or not? Is it appropriate to do that? I totally get it. I, I feel myself in weird situations all the time. <laughs> Incense is connected to prayer. And the most, one of the most clear portions of Scripture that it talks about is again in Revelation. In Revelation chapter 5 and verse 8. It says, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of what? And what is the incense? They are the prayers of the saints. You think for a moment the imagery of what's happening. What happens when you burn something? Yeah, smoke, right? And ash, that's good. But smoke, smoke comes and it ascends. What does smoke do? It, it permeates, right? Smoke goes everywhere. Smoke just like as this bowl. And, and by the way, incense was meant to be smoky. That's where it, it carried the fragrance. So it's intentionally smoky. It's this like environment where, um, you know, and that smoke goes into the corners. It goes every. It permeates everywhere. But it's not just permeating with the, the, the smoke. It's permeating with what? The aroma, right? So the aroma is filling every bit of that place of worship, that place of dwelling with God. The altar, which means the killing place, is where atonement would happen, but not for this one. That there's something very special about prayer. Prayer, the reason why prayer is so powerful when we understand it biblically is because you're not having to atone for your sins in prayer. Do you understand that? You don't atone for your sins in prayer. Jesus has already done that. The reason that you can pray is because His aroma, that what He's done for us, has permeated all that we are, so we have, as followers of Jesus, connection with God. You don't have to do that extra work there. It's not the messy work. And, and what the message that I, I want to just say so clearly is this. There's fervency in prayer. There's power in prayer. There's work in prayer. But there is enjoyment in prayer that I think we've yet to experience many times in our lives. Usually what we associate with prayer is guilt. Usually what we associate with prayer is that I don't do it enough and I don't do it right. And if I did it better, bad stuff wouldn't happen to me or my loved ones. Does anyone relate with that? Are we good? Okay, cool. Because remember, I'm going to give you back those worship songs. It's coming. I feel like you're mad at me for messing up the flow. Okay, so... so there is times when, when we might not pray as we ought to because we don't have a clear understanding of what it is. And this is reminding us that, that before there were any other sacrifices, there was something beautiful, something fragrant that was to, to connect us with, um, with prayer and with relationship with God. Um, remember I said that, that the, the, this was an altar? And what was cool about this altar is that... <laughs> As there was no like sin atoning things, there was, like I said, that little blood that was on the horn. So as the prayer is ascending before the throne, it's a picture of what our prayer life is. That it's not all messy and dirty and all about blood, but you, you see that on the corner. You know, I have connection with God because of what Jesus has done. Because of that little bit of blood that's there, it reminds me. I'm looking through those lenses as I pray. And as I lift up my life before God. But if it's an, if it's an altar and it's in the tabernacle, what's dying on that? And what's dying on that, it, it came to my mind, like, as, as I pray and as you pray, a new perspective comes, a kingdom perspective. So some of the things that for us right now might need to die on that altar of incense are things like fear and anxiety. How many of you know that when we're able to, to bring our fear and anxiety before God, He replaces it with peace, right? That there's a, a dying on that altar of things like confusion, 
And I alluded to it, or I said it earlier, that we live in a very confusing time. And yet when we're in the presence of God, when things make sense, when God is God dwelling among His people, there's a sweet aroma that alleviates confusion. That if you've ever been in a time of prayer, uh, you begin to experience, like, I came into it maybe fearful and anxious, and I'm leaving it with a new perspective of a sense of relief. What else can die on the altar of incense is hopelessness. You know, I, I, I want to say this, um, I was thinking about it as I was coming into church today, that there is such a dark hopelessness in our world today to the point that there's an epidemic of suicide. And, and, and suicide represents the, the end all, like, oh, i got nothing left, and it's tragic in every way, and I'm not here to, to make a whole sermon about it, but I want to just say in the last four weeks, I've been involved with four people who've taken their own life. That is, I, I just go, Wow. That's not normal. That's tragic. Why is that tragic? Because the fruit of of a lot of these other things that aren't dying on the altar of incense, the lack of relationship that's possible with God, and the understanding of what that really means is causing people to drift into such a a deep hopelessness. That the ultimate ultimate expression of that hopelessness, I got nothing left. If this is all there is, I'm going to check out. Anger and revenge. Anger and revenge can, can die on this altar of incense. Selfishness, greed, the flesh. How many of you would just say, man, I would love for all of that. That stuff is okay to die. All that's okay to go away. It is in my life. And it's okay for it to, to be offered up to God and say, and this is the weird part. Here it is. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sacrifice this. And as I do, because of the atonement of Jesus, what goes up to you is not all that. What goes up to you is the aroma of Christ, like His righteousness through me. That's amazing. Are you tracking with me? This is, the, this is why our faith is so remarkable and, and, and what God has done for us. And so then it says this really interesting thing in, in, in verse 9. It says, you shall not offer unauthorized incense on it. I thought of all that those knockoff aromas. I've never been a cologne person, but if I was, I'd probably wear the knockoff because I'm a cheap person. (laughs) But they're just not the same, but they have like a similar name, you know what I mean? And I can't even think of one because I didn't prepare for any kind of jokes on that, but I'm just saying, there's these knockoffs, and and I thought that, how interesting that there's unauthorized incense that... It says that you shall not offer unauthorized incense, a burnt offering, a grain offering, and you shall not pour out a, a, a drink offering. Aaron shall make atonement on its horns once a year, and with the blood of the sin offering of the atonement, he shall make atonement for it once a year through generations. It is most holy. Unauthorized incense, there's no, there's no shortcuts, there's no cheap knockoffs, there's no... Um, Unauthorized, and this is what I thought about. It's a fancy word called syncretism. And syncretism is what much of the New Testament is addressing, where it's like the clear gospel is here, and now just take all the cultural stuff and add it to the gospel, and you can create your own religion, right? And we don't experience that in Southern California, do we? Sometimes I meet people who say they're Christians and, and we're starting to talk about the Bible and Jesus and then they're talking about like their Hindu meditation practices and you know the certain weird drink that they drink that they invited some weird God to. I mean, it's just like bizarre stuff. And we can laugh at it and go, man, Californians are weird because we are. But, but we can also look at it and say that those are unauthorized. That's unauthorized. It's not unauthorized because we think we're better. It's not unauthorized because we're legalistic. It's unauthorized because God's made it clear what incense is and what prayer is. And why would you mess with something that He has perfected? If you read through this entire chapter, the very last chapter is literally a recipe for the incense. It's both the recipe for the incense and the anointing oil. And it is supposed to smell the same way from that point in history all through the generations. Why would that be important? Because your nose knows, right? Your nose smells something. Ah, that's Him. This is the presence of God. Ah, that's that amazing tent trailer where we camped out and had such good memories, you know. Your nose knows. It brings you right back. And so, so my prayer, my heart, my hope for today is that, that we sit in the incense of God's goodness. 
that instead of a bunch of just words and words and, and you know, this and that, that we have opportunity to, to offer our hearts and our lives and just go, God, here's all the stuff that I have no answers for, stuff I'm anxious about, stuff I feel hopeless in, some things I'm confused about. In your presence, I come to this altar that where you've atoned and I just let, let my worship just ascend and let it permeate every bit of me in this whole place. And God, let the aroma of that be something that I remember, that I remember your faithfulness and goodness. And in the same way, because you don't get to offer unauthorized incense, that you'd be a good sniffer. That you'd be, you know, that, that, that smelled like Jesus, but that ain't Jesus at all. It, 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 it's missing. It's a cheap knockoff. You know, it's a different brand. And it's not a place where we get all judgy and weird, but it's a place where we go, nope, that's not it. I'm not going to be distracted by syncretism. I'm not going to be distracted by another direction that's taking me off into way left field, some easy-peasy way to make my life greater in five easy steps. Like, I'm not going there. I'm going to the tested and tried and true. I'm going to the presence of God. I can just sit at His feet and where I get to enjoy Him. And He enjoys me. And we're walking in relationship that I am His child and He is my Father and He's dwelling among me. This isn't just theoretical words on a page. This is reality for us in a really uncertain time. And I get kind of excited about it. The sense of smell, as I've said before, is powerful. It's known to be the most powerful sense. The smell brings you right there. The smell brings you right there. And sometimes there's a, a, an odor that, that brings you to like, nah, I don't like that. It's a crusty old smell. It's a smell that brings you a difficult time in your life. It's a smell that, that brings you into a place of heartache. And you think, nah, I ain't going back there. That's all right. Don't go back there. Because when you get transformed with the real thing, when you come to the altar of incense and you relate with God and you pray and you receive His goodness, there's no going back. Everything smells foul compared to the incense and the goodness of God. The takeaway is, is, is very simple. Uh, I could go on and on about it, but I'm not. I want to leave some time. In fact, I'll invite um, Bailey and the team to come back up. That there's a unauthorized incense and there's an unauthorized anointing oil and there's an authorized one and you could read for yourselves like I've said if you, if you go into that 30th chapter it, you'll, you'll get the, the recipe and by the way if anyone tries to sell it to you on any late night channel don't buy it it doesn't do anything magic for you it, it really doesn't that this is for a moment in time for a people who, who God was doing something really specific and now we experience this in Christ in like a, in a very sort of, um, I don't know, like in a, in a I don't want to say it's, hyp- it, it, it's not figurative, it's literal, but it's different. I, I'm, I'm not quite sure the wording for it. But as complex and in detailed as this messy um, sacrificial system was, the heart of God is plainly seen. He just wants to be with his people. And his desire is, is this scent of incense that permeates every area of our life in our tabernacle. First Thessalonians, I'll, I'll leave with this verse. It says that we are to pray without ceasing and to give thanks in all circumstances that this is God's will, in, uh, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And then it says this interesting thing. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. I've grown up hearing that, that verse of Scripture over and over. Don't quench the Spirit. I, I thought maybe quenching the Spirit would mean like if I coughed or I did something wrong while, I, you know, while people were worshiping or if I drew attention to myself. Or, but, but I think quenching the Holy Spirit is, is, is putting out the fire of the Spirit. It's putting out... This is interesting. How do you get incense? You can't have incense without fire, right? The fire creates the smoke. You can have anointing oil without fire, but you can't have incense without fire. And, and the quenching of the Holy Spirit is not sneezing during the worship song. It's not standing up when you should have been sitting down or sitting down when you should have been standing up. It's none of that. The quenching of the Holy Spirit is, ne- is neglecting the fire of the Spirit to bring the incense about in your life, to permeate every area of your life. And that's a heart matter. That's a heart issue. And we're not going to do that this morning. 
we're going to take opportunity to let the, the fire of the Spirit do what the Spirit does without any expectation, without any like, okay, stand up and repeat after me or come up here or sit over there or twirl around five times. We're not doing that. But what we're doing is opening our hearts to the goodness of God who just wants to dwell among you on a Sunday morning. To break the routine of what you do when you come in, sit down, stand up, greet a few people, give a little money, and then head on your way out. To break the routine enough to just go, is it real? Is this altar of incense real? Is it important to you? Is, the, is there incense? Is there a fragrance of you? You know, Corinthians, 2 Corinthians says that you and I, we are what? The aroma of Christ. That beautiful? And that we're not only the aroma of Christ, like we, we just smell good, but that there's a fragrance of us that's like when people are around us, it brings attention to His salvation and it draws people to Him. And so these times here, they fill us with what we need to smell good out there. So people go, oh, that's different. That's a memory I don't I want around that. And, and it's not your whatever expensive stuff you put on. It's the Spirit of God. Am I making sense? I want to just let you sit in it. I want to let you sit in no heavy command, just a beautiful invitation. There was no heaviness to the altar of incense. It was a beautiful invitation. And it happened. It was for all the time. That's why it was ceaseless. The ceaseless prayer of God is, is always relationship with Him. In the good times, in the bad times, in desperate situations, in, in, in difficult times and not so difficult times. The simple enjoyment, the fragrance of God. Would you close your eyes with me for a moment? God, we look to you. We ask you, Lord, that your spirit would would permeate. That your presence would be here among us. Here's the invitation for you. Stand if you'd like to stand. Sit if you'd like to sit. Get out of your seat if you'd like to get out of your seat. Come come just relax on the floor if you want to sit on the floor and not in a pew. Walk to the back of the sanctuary. Sing the song. Don't sing the song. Listen or sing as loud as you want. But the invitation is to let the presence of God touch your life. And the challenge is to let God do it. To bring all the things that need to die on that altar of incense and go, Here, God, here's the stuff I'm trying to manage. It's just let your, let your incense permeate all of that. I like it if we could just maybe dim the lights a little bit and just set the atmosphere for us to not think about those that are around us or, 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 or any kind of other expectation than to just be with Him. To enjoy God. Enjoy your Father. Enjoy the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit.
this morning we're going to sing another song and just continue to let his fragrance just be known in this place. The thought occurred to me that of some of the things that I shared that get sacrificed on that altar of prayer. Maybe there are some of you that are going through some difficult times, whether you related with any one of those things on that list or you, you just need somebody with you right now. And I would just encourage you, if that's you and you want to come to the altar for prayer, you're welcome to do it. If you want to reach to the person that's to the right or left, you just say, hey man, just pray with me. This is a house of prayer. And if someone reaches to you and they say, would you pray with me and you're not comfortable doing that, just try it. Just pray God's blessing over them. Don't be afraid of, of who you are because remember what this book is teaching us is that we are priests of the Lord, that we hold an anointing. We're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. So we're not trying to impress anybody or fix anybody. All we're doing is bringing people to the Father who's so good and just wants to dwell among His people. And you get to do that. That's a great privilege. And so there's not a pressure to that statement. It's just, I want to give the invitation. Um, God waits to be wanted. And sometimes there's a step to take where we might need um, somebody with us to pray for us. You can continue on and lead us.
want to invite you to just kind of place your, your own hand on your, your heart, just representing the, the center of your life. Lord, may the incense that's authorized by you, the scent that reminds us of your faithfulness and your goodness, that brings us instant memory of the reality that you long to dwell among us. And as the Gospel of John says that you came to tabernacle with us or that Jesus moved into the neighborhood. God, thank you. Your very name, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. As we have our hands on our heart, we are reminded just with a physical touch that you're with us, that you guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And we say of this temple, which your word says that we are, the temple of the Holy Spirit, Allow your incense to permeate every nook and cranny, every fiber of our being. Let the fire of your spirit cause the smoke of the incense to permeate our lives. And we, God, refuse to quench the spirit, to put that fire out in any way. But we welcome it. We welcome the fresh touch of your Holy Spirit. This anointing that we read about that is also authorized by you and given recipe that it would always smell the same way. It would remind us of your goodness and your faithfulness that through the anointing of the Holy Spirit that we have the ability to do things better for you, to be your priests, to be your aroma. God, in those areas where we've strayed away, where we've brought unauthorized incense, unauthorized anointing, we say we're sorry. Lord, we repent before you. We repent for the mess that we've made of things. Lord, I repent, God, of times of pushing something along or hoping for a certain outcome instead of just trusting you and you're doing something behind the scenes. I want that unauthorized incense, God. I want what you have. And so, Lord, thank you that you show up. Thank you that you're always faithful. Thank you that every time we come, your presence is here. And your presence is in our lives, even as our hands are upon our chests now, God. Your presence is with us. You are with us. God is with you. He's with you and He's for you. Lord, may that truth resound. Lord, may that, that scent or that smoke overwhelm all the other scents, the things that are putrid and of this world, the things that we've walked into, the things that have been put on us. Bring freedom over those areas, God. Let, that, let you permeate over all that other garbage to where what remains is the pure anointing, the pure oil of your spirit, the pure incense of your spirit. Through the atonement of Jesus, what rich truth is in your word, God. Thank you for giving us the grace to mine it this morning. Let it stay with us, God. Let your presence remain. Let it linger in our hearts and in our lives. Let it even linger in this room. As we end and say, Amen, God, I pray that the lingering presence of the Holy Spirit would be in this place. Would be leading us to conversations that are fruitful and helpful. That the body would be the body. That people would be encouraged and strengthened. That words would be given. That joy would be present, God. That hope would be here. That it would just dispel the darkness of the moment, God. That we, your people, will be marked by your presence. Thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you for what you've done today. We say yes and amen to all your promises. And we honor you together in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen, Amen, Amen. amen. God bless you.